Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, the final part of the Neon Tinted Trilogy, The Neon Man Won't Let Me Live, was originally released on February 12, 2020, and is read by yours truly, with accompanying music by Petra Merdian and White Bat Audio. If you enjoyed the show so far and want to pitch in to keep the lights on, drop on by patreon.com slash mikejlanger. Early access, bonus content, name in the credits, you know the drill. With that said, turn off your brain and let your body rest to the tunes of the fever dream. I never thought I would post here again. The Neon Man chapter of my life was meant to be over. Throughout the years, the image of the dwarfish man in bright green spandex has floated out of my mind, but it came back last night with overwhelming terror. Six years ago, I posted here about the Neon Man. I was a struggling artist stuck in a rut. I decided I would try to indulge in some self-improvement, quitting smoking and starting to run regularly. That's when he appeared. The Neon Man chased me whenever I tried to jog, screeching all the way, seeking to kill me if that meant an end to my physical exercise. After my first violent meeting with the Neon Man, where he almost stomped my head in, I retreated to my apartment and fell into a deep state of constant anxiety. A week later, trying to escape my nightmares of the Neon Man, I went out on a date. That date went horribly wrong. Just when it looked like my neurotic loneliness might be alleviated, the Neon Man stepped in. He ruined my chances at a life with Alice, but he also managed to get himself arrested. Even though me and Alice would never be an item, she helped me deal with the fallout of the Neon Man's presence in my life. I promised her that I would go to the police to give them more information about the Neon Man, that I would tell them about how he tried to murder me before the night he got arrested. So that's what I did. Turns out this was not the first time he had attacked someone. With the reports about our victims, the Neon Man was sentenced to jail. I didn't pay attention to the case. I wanted any memory of him out of my life. Alice, however, kept tabs on the Neon Man's fate. She did help catch him after all. As the trial went on, she would text me updates. Within a month of the night that the Neon Man pulled a switchblade on me, he was in prison. The calmness from the monster being locked away took a couple of weeks to set in. It still felt like the harm that he wanted to do to me transcended prison bars, as if there was no running away from him. But as the weeks dragged on and as Alice assured me that he was indeed locked away, my mind started to wander from fear to hope. I had made promises to Alice. I was going to keep my word. I told her I would quit smoking and I had managed to stick to that promise. Aside from the most restless nights, I kept my lungs completely clear. The morning coughs disappeared, the cravings started to get more manageable. I felt like I could walk up a flight of stairs without having to sit down. I had regained enough of my lungs to be able to commit to jogging regularly. All I needed was the courage to do so. My first run after the Neon Man's arrest is the bravest thing I have ever done. Sure, I chickened out multiple times of my runs ended shortly after they began on account of me vomiting my nervousness away before I even left the house. Yet eventually, the hopeless horror of meeting the Neon Man turned into a manageable worry. I got no pleasure from the first run. The whole time that I was moving through the park, I kept on checking around my shoulder for flashes of neon. I kept on looking for ways to escape if he ever appeared. But he didn't. I ran for a full three kilometers before my legs gave out. The idea that I had to stop running out of exhaustion rather than fear was sublime. 
With the coming weeks, that pleasant feeling became a regular occurrence. Self-help books talk about how self-improvement is a constant battle against ourselves, that making a lasting change in our lives is something that gets easier over time. They say that the voices that make us want to sit down and do nothing all day, the parts of ourselves that crave comfort over effort, die down. They're wrong. Those voices remain. The drive to avoid exercise in lieu of binging TV shows still sticks around. The siren call of trading tomorrow's clear head for a joyous night of drinking still rings alluring. And on a long enough timescale of doing the right thing, you become strong enough to resist the urge to give up. Over the years, I've stumbled a lot. I took breaks from running, I tarred up my lungs for a couple of weekends, but I kept coming back on track. When I was being active, I was a better version of myself. I was the guy I pretended to be when I first met Alice. I slept better, I ate better, I was able to get more art done, but most importantly, I was happier. Even the most bizarre of lies I told Alice the first night became true. I had made a fair amount of money off of designing the logo for an energy drink company. If you're in Central Europe, you probably know the drink that I'm talking about. It's the one with a guy in a neon tracksuit on the can. I originally got contacted about the job after someone saw my drawing of the neon man in my portfolio. I didn't feel completely comfortable with having to be faced with that drawing on a regular basis, but I was too hungry of an artist to say no, and by the time the marketing department was done with the design, the only thing that connected me and the arts on the can was a paycheck. The pudgy man in ill-fitting jogging gear had turned into an Olympian-looking athlete with a look of joyous determination. I liked drawing that guy more. He didn't give off a murderer vibe. After about a year of working with energy drink people, I got an invitation to come to Prague. They were sponsoring a night marathon that was going to be filled up with a lot of the promotional material I designed. They heard I liked running. I was down for the challenge. I extended my runs. I watched what I ate. My sleeping schedule became draconian. I was going to run this marathon for the guy who once made an overzealous New Year's resolution. With enough training, I could do it. My two feet were made for running. Little did I know that before I even reached the starting line, I would meet the creature of Nightmare's path. I would meet the Neon Man. Two days before I was meant to leave for Prague, my nerves got to me. I had trained for almost a year specifically for the occasion, but 42 kilometers was a lot. My search history became filled with, is it healthy to run a marathon? And what can go wrong during a marathon? The thought of collapsing in front of a crowd haunted me. Yet my worries about the marathon quickly dissipated when I got a text from Alice. She wished me good luck on the run, but she also wanted to give me an update on our mutual friend. The neon man had gotten out of prison. He had served his six years. I immediately looked out at the park, expecting to see him. The park was empty. Yet I knew that the neon man was out there somewhere. I thanked Alice for the update and made a joke about how I hope that the Neon Man doesn't run marathons. But it wasn't a joke. Whatever fears I had about vomiting during the race were now replaced with a singular image of the Neon Man. He wouldn't like what I'd been doing while he was away. I had a train to Prague at 2 in the morning the next day. I was meant to be sleeping, getting rest so that I could be ready for my biggest day as a runner, but instead I spent the whole night thinking about that fat monster. I couldn't sleep. Popics and tablets didn't help either, just made me more loopy. The sunrise came and went. My thoughts were wholly occupied by the neon man. Every sound in my apartment, every noise outside carried within it his howl. 
I laid down and took deep breaths. When I woke up, the dark room wrapped me up in a panic. I overslept. I was going to miss my train. The original plan was to take the bus to the train station and save some money, but there was no way I could make the train in time using public transport. I snagged an Uber. Luckily, getting one of those drivers that you are terrified with on a normal day, but who you cheer on when you're in a hurry. We barely made the train station on time. As soon as the car stopped, I launched through the train station. The train was set to leave in a minute, and I was set on leaving with it. The years of training had paid off. I managed to dash my way past all the shady night commuters and get to the platform just as the doors were closing. I collapsed in my seat and tried to catch my breath. The train started to crawl forward as I enjoyed my little victory. I managed to sprint my way to a train I was meant to miss. I was going to do all right in a marathon. Then, I heard it. That unmistakable sound. It was faint, but it was there. The neon man was yelling from outside of the train. I pressed my face against the window, looking for some hint of him on the platform. At first, the only neon I could see was on the uniform of the station cleaner, but after a couple of moments, the neon man didn't change a bit. He was still built like a small furnace with baby limbs. His sunglasses still kept the outside world locked away. He was still angry. As the train started to gather speed, he kept up his pace. His head stayed aimed directly at me. The train had reached a speed that no person could match, but the neon man still held firm. A conductor got on his path and was swiftly thrown to the side. We passed edge of the station, but that made no difference to the neon man. He swooped himself over the railing and continued running beside the train. He wouldn't look away from me. We hit a tunnel. I stared at my reflection in the window as we sped through the dimly lit passage. We were moving so fast that the graffiti scrawled on the walls turned from words into a general impression of angst, of a terrifying, baffling existence. Who was he? Why was he after me? Most importantly though, where was he? A flash of light. We were out of the tunnel. I stared out of the window, expecting to see the neon man come trotting by the train, but all I was greeted with was moonlit fields intercut by a sleepy highway. I searched every carriage, knocked on every bathroom door, and even peeked into a couple of luggage compartments. He wasn't outside, and he wasn't in the train. I slouched back into my seat and tried to calm down. The message I wanted to send to Alice went through a couple of drafts before I deleted it. It all seemed too insane. I was a grown-ass adult who was scared of some psycho in a garish running suit. All I had to do was show up at the nearest police station, report my suspicions, and then let the whole neon man thing go to rest. By the time I would arrive in Prague, there would be a good 400 kilometers between us. I took out my sketchpad and tried drawing. I figured that maybe doodling something and... Scratching at the creative part of my brain would help distract me. Yet fear burrows itself into places you can't control. All I could draw were pictures of wounded animals as strange figures and distressing spandex. I kept on dropping my pencil. My hands would occasionally erupt in a wave of trembling. My nerves were getting the best of me, but I was also so tired. The train still had four hours to go. I closed my eyes. It took me a second to realize where I was when I woke up. The exhaustion and lack of sleep had finally caught up with me. It must have been out cold when people were clearing out. 
put on my backpack, grabbed my drawing supplies, and made my way off of the empty train. I had hoped the station would be more populated. There is, after all, some safety in numbers. But five in the morning is both too late and too early for crowds. The platform was almost completely empty. The only other living souls I could see was a group of downtrodden-looking guys nodding off and a lone train conductor. I slowly made my way towards the escalator that would take me down to the station proper. My eyes kept on darting for a hint of green. The neon man was meant to be far away, but I had spent enough time obsessing about his meaty visage to know that distance meant nothing to him. The station loomed over me, a jagged metal cage waiting to lock me up with my worst nightmare. I scanned past the trash containers and panicked. A flash of neon green. I grabbed my belongings as tightly as I could and broke into a sprint. It wasn't until I turned around that I saw the real source of the color, the station cleaner. But by then it was too late. I was already in a mad sprint. My body had gone into full flight mode. I sprinted down the escalators. The hallway beneath the Prague train station is a long slog of uneven tile, but my feet bounced off of it as if it was the smoothest jogging path in the world. My panic had me on a leash, running down a tunnel vision world, but as my mind cleared, I started to slow. Where was I running to? Why was I running? A recollection of constant police presence in the park outside of the station gave me a concrete destination. I would go to the cops, report what happened, and then make my way over to my hostel. Literally running up to them would have made me seem like a crazy person, so I stopped running. Yet they would see me run regardless. Before I could even gather my breath from the initial sprint, I heard it. A scream that reverberated through the entire underground straight to my heart. From the far side of the passageway, I could see him. A pudgy green madman heading straight towards me. The tunnel vision returned. The entirety of my existence was melted down to a single thought. Escape. The main hall of the station was sparsely populated by strung out looking homeless people and sleepy looking tourists. But as soon as we raced past them, they got energized. It's not every day that you see someone getting chased by someone in a neon green jogging suit. A splattering of tired faces turning to shock flashed past me. Everyone took a step back, not wanting to interfere in our business. Everyone but a gaunt looking vagrant next to the arrivals board. As I ran towards him, a look of recognition flashed across his face. He started following us. I didn't have the time to concern myself with him. The neon man's howl were getting so close I could barely think. I wanted to put on another burst of speed, but my legs couldn't move any faster. My bag and art supplies slid from my hands. The only thing that mattered was survival. A thud sounded off behind me. The neon man had hit the ground head first. His neck bended at an inhuman angle, and a spray of blood from his mouth spritzed the dirty tiles of the station. A pair of my pencils rested by his feet. For a second, he looked like a corpse. Like someone who had suffered a horrible accident. But before the possibility of him being dead properly settled in my brain, his body started to twist. He started to rock on the ground, back and forth, emanating a guttural sound from his crushed throat. The vagrant we had passed in the hallway was still in hot pursuit. He was dressed in tattered clothing which had clearly seen its fair share of winters, but he moved with the focus of a professional athlete. He sprinted towards me, screaming, Get away! Run! Run! He didn't have to tell me twice. The automatic doors to the train station were right in front of me. A group of six officers stood on the other side next to two police vans. 
As the doors labored open, I managed one last look behind me. The neon man sprung back to his feet. His head was drooping to the side, but he still managed to move with impeccable speed. The vagrant wasn't far behind. The doors finally slid open. I ran out to the police, screaming for help. Eyebrows were raised, cigarettes were puffed on. I could barely register their confusion before I got knocked to the ground. The neon man straddled me, his weight cutting off any chance at breathing. I could see a terrified reflection in his glasses. Some of the police started to move towards us, but then he pulled out a knife. They pulled out their guns and took a step back. A cacophony of screams to put down the knife rang through the park, but they were all drowned out by something much louder. He raised the knife above his head, readying it for a plunge. I never got to say goodbye to Alice. I closed my eyes and waited for a terminal stab wound. The neon man would finally get his revenge. But it never came. Instead, there was a thud, followed by the sound of my own gasps. The weight on my chest was suddenly gone. The neon man had been tackled by the mysterious vagrant. The vagrant laid a flurry of blows to the neon man's head as the knife tumbled away towards me. I crawled away as fast as I could. With the knife out of the equation, the police were brave enough to jump on the two fighting eccentrics. Massive violence formed in front of the train station. In its center, the neon man and the vagrant. Surrounding them, half a dozen cops with batons. I leaned up against one of the vans and watched everything unravel. The police smacked the two with batons while screaming unintelligible commands. Flashes of neon-clad swings and kicks could be seen in the scuffle, but soon both the neon man and the vagrant became immobile. They were both out cold. The police put them both in cuffs and dragged them to separate vans. A small pool of blood and spit remained where the beating took place. I raced towards a group of police, dragging the vagrant, and stammered through an explanation of his innocence. I told the police that the vagrant meant no harm, that he was saving me from the neon man, but I was told to stand to the side and let them do their job. As they started to load him into the van, he woke up. His eyes drifted towards me, and through broken teeth he spoke. I know him. He will always chase. He will never stop. Unless you stop him, he will always chase. Always chase. Always chase. I pleaded for the police to let me talk to the man, but they moved me away from the van in which he was held. One of the officers took me aside to question me about the situation. He did not care about my past with the neon man, how I was assaulted six years prior, how the neon man had recently been released from prison, or how he chased my train before I arrived in Prague. All he cared about was the knife. No one could find it. The vagrant and the neon man were being attended to in their separate vans. The sun was slowly rising off in the distance and Prague was starting to wake up. The exhaustion was starting to set in, but I kept on hoping for a chance to speak to the mysterious vagrant. I needed to know what he knew about the neon man. I needed to know how to get the neon man out of my life for good. One of the younger policemen offered me a cigarette. With a glint of hesitation, I declined. I was meant to run a marathon in the evening after all. I explained my situation to him, as calmly as I could, and asked whether there was any chance that I could speak to the vagrant. He seemed somewhat entertained by my story. He told me he would check again with a supervisor. I was hopeful. The neon man had been arrested once more, and I finally had a shot at finding out what all this madness was about. Early morning travelers started to flow in to the train station. 
the stolen perfume peddlers were enjoying the preoccupation of the police. My horror of the neon man was starting to get replaced with a gentle anxiety about getting enough sleep to run in the marathon. That's when I heard the thuds. The police van, into which the neon man had been dragged, started to rock from side to side. Something was happening. Thud. 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 The door slid open. I was expecting a policeman to walk out, but instead, two bright green legs dangled out of the van. The glasses were gone. I could see his grey, hate-filled eyes clearly. He glared into my soul for a moment, sending a hot gust of rage down my spine, but his eyes quickly darted towards my pocket. He knew I picked up his switchblade. The neon man jumped from the police van towards the ground. His hands were still handcuffed around his back, but he moved towards me like a wolf moved towards a doe with broken legs. He had his prey picked out. A policeman with a bloody nose jumped out of the van, yelling for the neon man to lie down on the floor. He had his gun out. His colleagues joined him in the screaming and gun-wielding. The neon man, as if realizing he was outmatched, stopped moving towards me. He straightened up his head towards the sky, clearly struggling from his previous neck injury, and let out one last howl. <coughs> then he broke into a sprint and ran deep into the park that surrounded the train station. Two policemen chased after him, but as soon as it became clear that they couldn't match his pace, the vans joined the chase. I waited in the park for half an hour, thumbing the stolen switchblade in my pocket, but no one came back. The police were off chasing the neon man, and I was left without answers next to a pool of blood and spittle. I went to my hostel. I needed to get rest before I figured out what to do next. As I write this, I'm getting ready to head out for the starting line of the marathon. When I asked Alice, she insisted that I don't go, that I wait to make sure that the neon man is locked away for good, but I simply can't do that. The past six years, I've lived without the fear of the neon man, and the past six years have been the best years of my life. I can't go back to being scared. I can't go back to sitting at home all day in fear of a fat man in tights. I can't let myself become the person I was before I started running. Taking care of myself has made me so much more productive, so much healthier, and most importantly, happier. I trained hard for this marathon, and no one can take that away from me. As I strap on my running shoes, I sincerely hope that the police have caught the neon man. I pray that he ends up in jail and out of my life, and that the whole concept of this psychotic chase will simply become a memory to recall from my 20s. I need this to be over. But if this isn't over, if the neon man decides to chase me during the marathon, I will not run. I have run from him for long enough. I am taking the switchblade with me. This will all end tonight. I am ready to face whatever comes my way. Like the armless domino stacker, I will become the master of my own destiny. Yet as I head out the door, as I reflect on the past six years of my life, there's only one thought in my mind. I really need a cigarette. The Cabin in the Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, and Bob Kondrick. If you'd like to join these fine people in supporting the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. 
So concludes the final episode to the Neon Man trilogy. Will there be more? Perhaps. Will there be more in the coming months? Definitely not. There's a solid 140 stories in a backlog that we still have waiting for us. If you listen closely enough though, you might just find shades of neon reflected in some of the coming tales. That is all for tonight. See you next episode with a new fever dream.